Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. Absent today is Dave Selecki. Can't wait for him to rejoin me this week. As a guest, we're going to have Kevin Elliott on Pit Pass. And sadly, again, I'm unable to give you any breaking news other than I've really been enjoying riding my motorcycles and I hope you're doing the same. Get out there and ride. Wash your hands. It's about all we can do at this point in time. And hopefully things are going to get better for all of us. We do still have a trivia question. This week's trivia question is, what year did anti-lock brakes become available on a motorcycle? That's a motorcycle. That's an important component of the question. And we'll give you that answer after we talk to our first guest, Kevin Elliott. Kevin, uh, thanks for joining us in these very strange times. What are you up to today? <laughs> My favorite thing, uh, uh, taxes. <laughs> oh, bummer. And that's got to be interesting. Uh, do you want to share for our listeners uh, exactly what uh, your role is in uh, the world of motorcycling? Well, right now I'm the uh, president of uh, American Sport Bike Racing Association, the parent company of Championship Cup Series. So as ASRA, we do pretty much like a semi-pro, a feeder series for Moto America. And as Championship Cup Series, that's the Walter Mitties. That's the guy who's, who's paying to play. That's his hobby. That's his sport. And uh, we promote uh, roughly 47 events a year. All right. So what I, what I just heard and what I already immediately find very interesting is essentially you're at the helm, it sounds like, of two related but different racing organizations. Is that fair assessment? That's fair. One's kind of a, a step up from the other. A, in ASRA, of course, we have the team challenge, which is a, a either two hours or 200 miles, depending on the location and the time frame that we have. And then we have sprint races where you qualify Pretty much you follow kind of the same format as Moto America, except you're, you're squeezed into the same weekend, two or three day weekend that a, a championship cup series race is running. So we kind of cross pollinate, give the guys some opportunities to step up, make some money, race in Azra, along with the contingency offerings uh, with championship cup series. So it kind of gives us, um, uh, gives us a, a bigger uh, uh, talent pool to draw from. And then by running Nazareth, it kind of prepares the guy for what he's going to do when he uh, goes in uh, or gal goes and races Moto America. Well, that's awesome. Giving uh, amateur racers uh, a place to do what it is. Amateur racers love to do. I myself have been and occasionally still am a amateur racer. I raced with what I presume is one of your competing organizations, so I won't glorify them at this <laughs> moment, although I think you definitely have some involvement with them as you're both feeding um, AMA now and partnering with the AMA. That's been a somewhat recent development, right? We've been working with them for uh, the AMA for, I would say, like seven seasons now under the ASRA banner, the, uh, the other guys went uh, full AMA sanction. So even their sportsman races, um, along with uh, their feeder series, uh, their national challenge series, they're all AMA sanctioned now. So Azra's been AMA sanctioned for a while, has uh, stepped up and done all of their sprints or AMA sanctioned also. So we we do work together occasionally. And, uh, you know, we put on a couple of big events for uh, our sponsors 
few years ago, we got together and put an event on at Barber for Michelin that uh, uh, worked out really well for Michelin. We uh, got to see how each other did things organizational-wise that we wouldn't normally see just showing up at the races. We do a lot of the same things, but we have a tweak here and a tweak there that they don't uh, they do not do. And, and, of course, they do some things that we don't do. What I've always found interesting about amateur racing organizations, as I started, honestly, as an adult, I found the addiction that is road racing. <laughs> it started at track days, as it does for, for a lot of people now. That wasn't traditionally, if you go back far enough, the way people caught the bug originally. Track days kind of came in after racing was a national phenomenon as far as amateur level. Say all that to say... Um, I didn't realize how many amateur organizations there were. Until, uh, living in Chicago at the time, I certainly saw CCS and traveling around the country just to ride it. Because initially, I just went to tracks I liked. If they had a track day, I'm going to go there. I ended up at Barber a lot. I ended up uh, all over the country. I want to go to that track. I want to ride that track. And uh, then you find out, after you know what you're doing a little bit, Somebody's were organizing a race there. That's what I want to do there. I don't want to just ride on and I want to I want to get beat up while I'm there. <laughs> so do you cover the entire country, Kevin, in your various organizations or is that is are you regional? We've had a lot of drawback at at uh, at one point in the uh, I would say the late 90s and early 2000s, we truly did cover the entire nation. In the mid 80s, we covered the entire nation with affiliates, sanctioned affiliates, uh, like CMRA in Texas, MRA in, in Colorado. And then, of course, we promoted races ourselves at uh, Willow Springs and uh, uh, Thunder Hill. We were national, and, and as track days sprouted up, it became harder and harder to compete because uh, the costs are different. When you go racing, everybody has it in their mind that they need to have a new set of tires for every weekend. So the, the costs are a little different. And on uh, track day, guys, a lot of them can just go out on the same set of tires for two or three track days because they are not trying to set the track record. They're not trying to beat anybody else. They're just getting their adrenaline rush, which is okay. So we've drawn back a little bit. We uh, Most of our races now are in the, the, the uh, actual Midwest, like uh, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois. We kind of take a, a jump over uh, Ohio and, and uh and Pennsylvania, and then end up uh, really strong up on the uh, up and down the East Coast. So we we get uh, some of the good tracks that uh, you know, like Road America. We we get to run there. New Jersey, we run there three times a year on the Thunderbolt Circuit. The circuit is Loudon you as well. Does. How about Loudon? Loudon is one of our affiliates. They have stayed with us since uh, the uh, late '80s, and um, we have worked well with them. And uh, matter of fact, we got a huge crossover coming up Father's Day weekend. I'm not sure what's happening with the, the Loudon Classic as far as the the bike week at Laconia, but I know that our our big race, we're bringing uh, uh, Atlantic and Mid-Atlantic regions up to the Northeast and having uh, having a, a, a race there. And then coming down uh, in July, they're all coming down to New Jersey to have a, another battle. So each each group gets to run on their home track and we'll see who walks away with bragging rights when it all gets said and done. That's the best part about amateur racing is you, 
if you're racing in a series, you you have guys that only race when it's at their track, right? I know you know this yes. better than I do. You have guys who only go out and race loud, and that's the only track they ever wanted to ride at. And that's when there's a race, I go there. But I'm not going, even if it's just a little ways from my house, I'm not going to another track. I only want to race there. Those guys run into guys who race the whole country, for argument's sake, and 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 race in multiple organizations. And that's, that's really neat that amateurs get those opportunities to race against guys who might be a little stronger because of their diversity. We've been very fortunate because uh, we've had a lot of our riders, just like every organization has, that have uh, risen through the ranks and gone on to race uh, in, in world championship events. And they all remember where they started, you know, that, that they started in the grassroots level and, and uh, eventually I like to think that they all come back and either help support somebody like we've seen with Dale Quarterly and, and some other people. And uh, Freddie Spencer, when he came back, I mean, his big deal was he said he needed to help the sport. So he came back and raced AMA, even though he was a multi-time world champion. And so once you get the bug to race, you can't get rid of it. And even if you've been at the pinnacle of the sport, you still have a blast going out and, and racing with us. Mark Hackles was uh, Colin Edwards' teammate in World Superbike. And every race at New Jersey in Summit Point, I can guarantee you that unless his wife tells him no, Mark Hackles is there. And he is riding the wheels off of whatever you give him or whatever he brings. So it's it's cool. It's, it's once you get started, you're really never out of it, only unless you really want to step away. Yep, that is a fact. As I'm sitting here talking to you, it never really goes away. I mean, and and you, the list of riders through your organizations, particularly, I, what immediately comes to my mind is Texas. That's one of the few places I haven't raced. I did work uh, the Circuit of the Americas uh, MotoGP event for a couple years as a volunteer corner worker, just so I could actually be there. But that said, you've got. My mind goes to Ben Spees, Colin Edwards, you'd mentioned, Garrett Gerloff currently had to have raced a bunch in Texas under your organization, and he's in World Superbike. We really like uh, Garrett Gerloff and uh, Josh Heron and, and uh, J.D. Beach. Those guys actually came up through USGPRU, another organization that we worked with, and uh, we're actually trying to bring it back. You know, they had the 150 and the, and the 250 true GP bikes. Yep. And then Jake when Lewis they, as well, in yeah, that oh yes, category, GPRU. Don't, don't let me forget Jake. <laughs> you know, and, and we're tossing these names out, and the amazing thing is is, is those kids we saw then at, at 10, 11, 12 years old have risen uh, to the pinnacle of our sport, and most of those guys are coming back to race the Daytona 200 in October, which unfortunately got postponed as we were – uh, about two-thirds of the way through the, the Friday program, the president made his declaration, and the Speedway decided it was time for us to go home. Yes, that was a, a sad day, I think. You were at a location with a fellow pit passer, Tony Wink, and Tommy Boy Halverson at that time. Yes, yes. We uh, we commiserated about the fact that, that uh, we had to move that race because it was shaping up. To, uh, we had... I think it was six or seven former champions. I mean, you, you hadn't seen a race like that since the early 80s. 
I know, and I hope all of them are available. We, we're all hoping that, one, the race gets to happen in October 1st. That's most important. We all want to see it second, that all the guys who committed that first time are available. We know they've got real other things. Everyone does. Uh, when you move a, a, a major race date, priorities will have to be checked, I'm sure. Again, anybody who can be will be there, though this I am sure of. Well, we had uh, 78 entries. And only three guys have backed out so far. That's that is awesome. Yeah, so all the former champions are still there, and now because we have so much time, they're all lobbying to have their garage moved to where they want it to be. So to me, it's a it's a good thing if they're worried about where their garage is going to be in October. That means they're planning on showing up, and and I hope so. There is nothing like it to look over a field and know that you've got legitimately 10 or 15 guys that could win instead of one or two so it's uh it's pretty cool i'm looking forward to it i wish it was here tomorrow <laughs> oh you, you and me both uh yeah. I, I i bought the the video package that would allow me to watch it uh, well in advance because i was unable to go with tony and uh Tony and Tommy boy, uh, I was very jealous that they were in Florida for the week, having a great time riding around. Nonetheless, uh, I, I wish it was here today. I'm with you, and I'm just so glad to hear, uh, you know, we're glad to talk to you in that it tells, tells me and tells our listeners, the motorcycle world, racing isn't going away because of this. Uh, we've certainly faced, all of us in the motorcycle industry, we have faced uh, adversity I mean, going back to pre-08, uh, we, the world is a different place for all of us. I work at a motorcycle dealership. It isn't what it used to be. It's the same for a race organizer, I have to believe. Yeah, we were, uh, we were riding a high when uh, 9-11 happened. And uh, that was uh, uh, not only for the country, uh, for our sport, that was a big sucker punch. And, and it took a while to come back. And then uh, we were going gangbusters again in 2007, 2008. And uh, we got we got uh, another kick in the teeth. So the nice thing is, it's a family sport. You know, I know they beat that to death, but you look out through the paddock. There's uh, husbands and wives that are both racing. Their kids are racing. Uh, you know, once the once the parents stop racing, they they've got their kids in it. So I really think that while it may not ever go back to the the days of 2,000 entries at Road America like we had in, in uh, 2000, uh, uh, it will survive. And, uh, and we just uh, have to tip our hat to all the men and women in the armed forces and the first responders that, that help us do this and uh, keep us free, keep us safe, and so we can do this. And I just have that feeling that and when we get started again, whether it's Blackhawk on May 16th and 17th or Summit Point, the Memorial Day weekend, which is our biggest event of the year for Azra CCS, you know, as far as uh, just sheer numbers of people, well, we're really hoping that those two events are still solid. We have, have one race before that that we're looking at rescheduling, but, but we really are looking at, at trying to get back to uh, back to the show by the end of May. Well, that is, again, great news. Uh, I'm sure, again, you were commiserating with Tony. He's a racetrack owner and promoter himself, so yes. he has the very same uh, concerns, uh, realistic concerns about how much of my schedule do I actually get to pull off because uh, for, for around the country there are racetrack owners and people like you doing what you're doing, and I 
applaud you for keeping your chin up and uh, planning for the future because it's going to come whether we like it or not. Uh, it's The future will show up. So cheers yes, to will. you for doing it. What about uh, the rest of the summer? I mean, are there new talks, I guess, is probably not the time that uh, you're, you're talking or developing new events. Probably not right now. Unfortunately, right now, we really are in this holding pattern. And, and I had the best start of a season I've had since 2006, 2007. I mean, the, 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 the interest was there. The entries were showing up for the races. You know, that people were pre-entering, people were talking about it. People were making plans. We started out good and we really were just looking at this as kind of a lull because to, to ramp up our season, we always started with a race here a race there and then when we get into it then even though they weren't races in the same region then we would have to have events that were back to back like we'd be in illinois one weekend well that's the midwest region then we'd be at uh summit point or new jersey the next weekend and that would be an atlantic mid-atlantic event uh you know or or like that and and it worked out good so we basically got stopped before we really got started so it's, um, I think the anticipation is still there. I, I haven't had a groundswell of people saying that they weren't coming back. I've had a few people, uh, uh, unfortunately, in industries that were hit very hard when all the businesses shut down that are um, pretty much saying the same thing. You know, it's they have to wait until they get back to work to, to, to know when they're going to be able to pick up. And then the other people that were fortunate enough to uh, be in an industry where they could keep working, those guys are chomping at the bit. They're, I get probably 30 emails a day from guys trying to confirm that their first race that they're going to be at is going to happen. And, and I'm trying to be as positive as I can. And I've got my fingers crossed. Well, that's, again, these are good signs. Uh, and and as a country we, we and as a world right now, we all need positive signs to be hopeful yes. about. And, and the fact that people are reaching out to you, I mean, it's, it means it's not going away. And that's, that's good news. I love having that. And I ride around my neighborhood, and I see other guys riding around our neighborhood. We had one good day last week before we get, went back into the deep freeze, and I see guys <laughs> riding. So that's, that's a positive sign. Uh, and I'm, I work at a dealership. Our doors aren't wide open, but we are open. We're in the automotive sector, so in Iowa we haven't gone full shutdown, and we're selling mini bikes. I'm uncrating mini bikes. To me, really? that's a good thing. That's dads, awesome. are, dads are at home with kids that might not have otherwise been, and Dad says, "You know what? You're right. You should get a mini bike. Let's go get you one." So we're we're actually selling more of those. I am surprised than uh, than we would historically. So it's up. Hey, I started on a two horsepower little mini bike lawnmower engine and it yeah. developed into a little more serious problem but yeah it sure <laughs> did it sure did how long have you been that which begs the question kevin how long have you been uh in your role with azra i started racing with a club called phoenix road racing organization in 1980 that was our first organized race i, I took my rider uh, my rider school in 79 and the club there in phoenix folded so we put together another group and we actually shared the track rent with the cars. So I complained so much about the rules that, that the guy that put the thing together, that was the original president stepped down and basically told me, you think you can do it better here. 
So uh, I spent a few years doing that. And then uh, in 1987, Roger Edmondson hired me to come to work for him full time with Championship Cup Series. And that's pretty much when I started doing that full time. I had a hiatus for a little while where I thought I was going to be a, a, a bar tycoon. So I had my own little music bar in Asheville, North Carolina, which was a lot of fun, but wasn't really where I wanted to be. So since 98, I've been back in the sport doing this full time. I worked for Championship Cup Series, who was acquired by Clear Channel, who was then acquired by SFX Motorsports. And excuse me, I had that backwards. It was Pace, then SFX, then Clear Channel, and then Clear Channel in 2006 jettisoned the road race program. And my wife and I bought the trademark from him and uh we took off after that and uh well the marriage didn't work out the business is still here thank god well that's uh <laughs> made it a family affair for a moment uh yes thanks for sharing that kevin I, you know again i i do want to take the moment to applaud you for your efforts the the fact that you you haven't given up uh because i can i can easily imagine how it, it might be easy to say, yep, this will be it. Uh, you know, one more straw and you've actually broken this camel's back. I'm out. Uh, it's, it's believable in the scenario uh, that you find yourself in. So thank you for doing that. Is there anybody you want to mention besides your organizations that we've talked about <laughs> before we say goodbye uh, as far as giving thanks? I've got to tip my hat. Not only the AMA is behind us 100%. We don't always agree sometimes in the direction that we should go. But that's the whole thing about the sport and keeping the sport going. The other person that I really have to tip my hat to right now is is uh, Daytona International Speedway. They uh, we work as partners. The 200 is theirs, and I get to I get to put on the CCS races, uh, you know, to help fill the weekend and stuff. And they are they have been nothing but chomping at the bit to. They already had me do the schedule for October. Uh, you know, uh, they're, they really want to make sure that, that uh, motorcycle racing stays at the speedway and keeps going. The AMA wants to make sure that the 200 is a uh, success again. So really, those are right now, today, those are the two big ones. And, of course, our, our normal sponsors that, that, uh, that come along, you know, uh, uh, Pirelli, uh, who supported the Azra series for the last – eight, nine, ten years. Michelin Tire, who had both the uh, Azra Sprint Series and the Team Challenge for a while. Now they're just the, the Team Challenge sponsor. They are still in uh, 100% behind us. Dunlop gives us support when they can. Bridgestone has always been a supporter of ours. VP Fuels, Sunoco. I mean, you're just, uh, you, you've got the, the main players who are really behind you, which make you feel good. But all, what also makes you feel good is when you have the, the smaller companies, you know that there really are the four and five main people and, you know, making the thing work that are still behind you and still supporting you and and uh, still wanting to, to sponsor things and run ads and do contingency. And I cannot say enough about all those people. And then some of the people I really feel the worst for um, all of our safety crews, you know, we we don't pay them a lot, but we pay every one of them and, and uh, they – they come out, and I know I have so many of them that follow us and go so many places. This has really had to impact them, and uh, uh, you know, and I, I feel I really feel sorry for them. So I'm just uh, I'm just hoping, praying, 
And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this thing getting started, and I'm looking forward to us having some great races. And even though it's going to be a little bit of a compacted season, I just think that, uh, that with the support of everybody and, and you folks, I mean, uh, come on. Uh, Tom bent my ear for when I was the maddest Friday night at Daytona. He bent my ear for a good hour and basically made me realize, hey, it, it's up to us. So let's tighten up our bootstraps and let's go take it on. And that's what we're doing. And we're going to make it happen and we're going to make it work. And especially with help from people like you. Well, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Kevin Elliott, president of the American Sport Bike Racing Association, amongst other hats that he wears. Uh, <laughs> we really we look forward to your product coming to fruition this season and, and, and all the ones after it. It's been a pleasure talking to you, sir. Thank you for joining us on Pit Pass. Thank you, PJ. Appreciate it. This week's trivia question on Pit Pass was, what year did anti-locks become available on a motorcycle? It was crucial that we talked about a motorcycle, and it was 1991 on a BMW. I remember the bike, and I remember how big of a deal it was. We all thought that was just absolutely Star Wars business, that a motorcycle could uh, you could step on the brakes as hard as you want and it wouldn't skid it wouldn't wipe out because we've all done that it was wonderful thank you bmw for bringing us that wonderful update thank you again to our guests for being with us today and thank you the listener for tuning in i appreciate it we appreciate it it means the most to us that you've listened to us We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure that you uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where uh, you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. And, of course, make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Ed Camp, social media contributor Chris Bishop, our producer Leah Longbreak, and, of course, our audio engineer Eric Colt now knocking it out of the park. I'm PJ Doran. We'll see you next week on Pit Pass. Wash your hands. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.